please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio Hour. I'm your host, Doug King, and Jesse is in studio with me today, along with a whole crew of other shorter people, because it is Christmas break, and our kids are here enjoying the the generous hospitality of our home station here on 1160 AM, the talk of the town. So I'm, I'm looking at the, the events of this past week, and it's it's Christmas. I mean, it's Christmas Eve, and we're enjoying the, the fruits of the season. The, the happy Hanukkah lights are, are being lit, and, and everybody's enjoying life except for people in Germany and, and Turkey, where apparently the order of the day is to run people over with cars and assassinate ambassadors from the former Soviet Union. Now, what exactly happened? Because I was understanding that an ambassador was killed in... Turkey. Was it in Turkey? Yes. When he the was Russian gunned down ambas- by a Ghana suit. The Russian ambassador in, to Turkey. When now you got to understand the geopolitical structure that's going on here, right? I mean, Russia is a Eastern Bloc nation. The Turkey was historically closely tied to Russia. It was the 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 Bosphorus Straits that allowed the Russians to have access to the Mediterranean. Their their only uh, year round port is on the Black Sea, but it's it, the entrance to the Mediterranean and thereby the Atlantic and the Indian Ocean through the Suez Canal is controlled by Turkey. So Turkey and Russia have historically been very close, but during the Cold War, Turkey broke off and joined NATO. And so any attack on Turkey would have triggered a NATO response, an Article 5 reaction, where we would declare war on Russia. So what if we don't declare war on Russia? Well, we got first off, we got to get to to what happened with the ambassador because this is a big deal. Well, it wasn't a Muslim that killed the ambassador because I'm pretty sure that that, it, that he's. And I think about reports said he he screamed out six, Allah Akbar, whatever. Sixty five percent of Turkey is Muslim. They've got a small uh, percentage of Christians, I think around 15 or 20 percent, and then there's agnostics and others that, that make up the rest of the population. But it is a primarily a Muslim country. Uh, it was the headquarters for the Ottoman Empire preceding World War One. So this is where footstools come from. Uh, kind of, yeah. Um, the The Ottoman Empire was, was the largest empire of the time. It was a uh, Islamic empire. And then following World War One, it all collapsed, and it was divvied up by the British and the French and turned into these small countries like Syria and um, Turkey and all of the little countries that are north of Israel. So here we see kind of the fundamental underpinnings of how Turkey got was, was broken off from Russia and its close ties with Russia into being kind of an independent state. And it was by breaking the countries into smaller portions, the British were thinking that this would keep it manageable, that they wouldn't be able to mount armies and and be able to um, really mount a resistance like the Ottoman Empire had because it was broken up. It's balkanization of the Middle East, right? So you keep saying Turkey and it's making me really hungry because, I mean, it is the holidays. It is the holidays. So... You know, what, you know why the UN was concerned when the holiday special was dropped at a, at a diner? No. It meant the fall of Turkey, the breaking up of China, and the running of Greece. Oh no. Um, 
<clears throat> so you've got Turkey as kind of the linchpin of the region, right? I mean, it has it is the most prosperous area because it has control of this strait that the Russians need, and that's why NATO was so excited about it after World War II. But now, NATO being the Nor- North Atlantic, Atlantic Treaty, Treaty organization, organization that was set up in answer to the Cold War in Russia, right? Right, because Russia had direct influence over all of the Eastern Bloc countries, and they were acting as a unit. So in order to be able to combat that and prevent the picking off of nation by nation... They built their own alliance. They built their own alliance. Gotcha. And the reason it's a North Atlantic Treaty Organization is because without the Americans in it, then there was really nothing. Because following World War II, there was nothing propping up Western Europe except for America. Militarily, not not socially or economically, but militarily, the Americans were the only dog left in the fight. So North Atlantic Treaty Organization, but Turkey gets brought into NATO, and that puts Russia on edge, right? Now, we've come so far, we're to the point now that NATO, NATO is really superfluous, right? I mean, we're not standing up against a Soviet bloc. The Latvia and Estonia and all of the little Baltic states have, have declared independence. You even see independence in, in Ukraine and, and they're fighting with Russia on, on many levels there. And so Russia isn't the, the monolithic block power that it was 30 years ago. And so the response is that NATO has really subsided. I mean, it, it doesn't come up like it used to in foreign policy discussions. But the, the reason that NATO existed, you know, and the reason that Turkey was brought into NATO is still fresh in everybody's mind. And here we have a Russian ambassador who was sent to Turkey from Russia to, to keep good relations. And you've got to understand that that strait is incredibly important to, the, to Russia. So this is an important geopolitical block for that country to maintain ties with. And the ambassador is assassinated. Now, to me... And it's not just that this is, you know, the, the eve of, of 2016, a hundred years in ago, we were in the middle of World War One. but this sounds so much like the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand in Serbia by, you know, a militant Muslim that kicked off a treaty war that caused the death of, what, 20 million people and was the first mechanized world war that ever happened? I mean, I, I, I really see... I haven't taken that history in college yet. <laughs> I really see echoes. I mean, and, and it, of course, it's obvious to draw those conclusions because it's in the similar region with similar things happening. But And it's 100 years, almost, you know, almost to the year. It's 100 years ago. It was 1914 that the assassination happened just 100 miles north of where this assassination happened. And the same players are being brought in, The same the, the same Muslim factions that were... Um, rebelling in 1914 are the same Muslim factions that are rebelling in 2016. And the assassination of this ambassador has caused Russia to take a very hard-line stance on the region. And I think that that's truly a terrifying prospect because Russia has a... I mean, it's entering a period that I would liken to being the second Catherine the Great's Reign where Russia is trying to assert global dominance again as an empire that is trying to get into the club of Europe. Russia, I mean, the history of Russia has always been that it is trying to get into this European club. It wants to be seen as part of Europe and part of the European society, whereas Europe looks as Russia as being Asian. 
It's it's this gigantic country that is mostly in Asia. I'm pretty sure strong... that geography looks as Russia as part of Asia, right? Not entirely. Or is it I mean, Eurasia. Eurasia. There's a there's a sliver of Russia just from Moscow over that is technically a part of Europe, but it's separated by the Ural Mountains, which means that politically and socially, and the key emphasis here is socially, Russia has always been apart from the European structure, and Russia has always been trying to get into that structure from from Ivan the Terrible on down. You know, Peter the Great, Catherine the Great, even the Romanov dynasty, their entire focus was trying to get Russia to be a part of European society. And you can even see this in the design in the history of their weapons design. You know, the 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 Russian rifles that are around that everybody has now because they were so cheap, the the Mosin Nagant. Yeah. Well, do you know those names aren't exactly Russian names, are they? I don't know. They were the Mosin Mosin was uh, a Frenchman and Nagant was a Belgian and they had designed this rifle and they were trying to peddle it around Europe and nobody was interested in it. But Russia saw it and they're like this. It's a European thing. My goodness, we need that because it's European. Listen, equip all of our soldiers with European rifles because then we will be more like the European army. So basically, Russia grabs a hold of European things like Japan grabs a hold of American things. Kind of. And, and that's not, I mean, that's a, a typical thing that happens after major wars, right? The, the, the winning, the winning side, um, comes in and occupies and they import their culture, not just their rules. I mean, that's what happened to Japan. After World War II, America came in and occupied Japan. But they didn't just import rules on you're not going to have a military or we're going to make sure that your infrastructure is a certain way or you're not going to be allowed to build battleships. They imported their culture, which started to be assimilated into the Japanese culture, which is why they love baseball and and Coca-Cola and McDonald's. These are American things that got absorbed into the culture through the occupation. So not to get off topic for a second, but I found this video on YouTube where this little Japanese lady was putting McDonald's fry boxes on her fingernails. Mm hmm. And it just made me realize how Americanized Japan is now, because before, like, World War II, they were still a little feudal. They were isolated entirely, and it was an extremely – I mean, they were industrialized, but it was an extremely rigidly organized society around the emperor. Right. But after the occupation, they, they absorbed our culture because all of the Americans who were there were doing American things. And the children that were growing up were watching the American things that were being done and thought, this is cool. And they, they internalized that decision. And it has had a ripple effect throughout the last century on what's been going on in Japan. Well, that's same, the same thing is going on over and over and over in every country around the world as culture gets exported. Now, the odd thing is, is that it you can have, like a teenager, you can have two ways of doing this, right? I, I guess we're coming up on a commercial break real quick. So I, we'll, we'll, we'll continue the teenager thought when we get back. Back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. When we took the break, we were discussing geopolitical politics in, in terms of teenagers, which I, I don't know quite how I got there, but let's take a second to think about this. Like a teenager, when you are presented with a foreign culture, there's two ways that you can deal with it. First, 
you can internalize it. You can accept that this is really the best way to do things. This is awesome, and I want to be a part of it. And that's kind of what happened with Japan following World War II. They internalized the foreign culture. But then, on the other hand, following World War I, you can see what happened in Germany. Germany did not internalize the culture of the British or the French that were occupying Germany and restructuring the government. Germany instead pulled in and instead of internalizing the differences in culture, rebelled against them and looked for nationalization and which in turn led to a strong resurgence of national identity in the form of Chancellor Hitler. So there's two ways of dealing with this flood of a foreign culture coming into a country. And we're dealing with that same dynamic right now across not just the Middle East, but all the way into uh, the subcontinent from from basically just west of India all the way up into Greece. We're dealing with a, a, a cultural contamination as Western thoughts and Western culture are presented to different nations that were chopped up and balkanized following World War I. So we've got a, a slain ambassador. We've got Russia that is trying to become more European. We've, and, and that's a historical trend that goes back for 400 years. We've got small nation states, which were never really designed to be small nation states, which were a fluid landmass with people of different cultures that came in and out of them with, without the rigidity of national borders. And then we've got historic empires that are trying to figure out their place in the modern world. And I'm thinking specifically of Iran and Turkey in that thought. And so Iran is rebelling against anything Western. They are, are internalizing. They're becoming very nationalistic. They're drawing in. You have Turkey going the other way, accepting a, a place in NATO, becoming more westernized, allowing Christians to come in, allowing people who have, are of Turkish descent from other religions to come as missionaries, which, I mean, you're never going to see that in Iran in, in today's climate. So you've got a, kind of a tale of two cultures here with Iran pulling in and honestly causing trouble and Turkey pull, looking out and trying to reach out for a brighter future. But then Turkey starts to have all of these, these internal collisions that are going on. I don't know if you remember, but it, I, I want to say it was just last year. It may have been a little longer than that when the Turkish rebellion happened and there was an attempted coup and the civil servants, the people who were not part of the military, took up arms and defended the government buildings against the military takeover of Turkey. And you had post office workers. Well, maybe that's not so shocking, but you had you had file clerks and you had secretaries and you had had, you know, people who do. It was middle July 15th of this year. Was it that recent? It says on July 15th of 2016, a coup d'etat was attempted in Turkey against state institutions, including but not exclusive. See, I was thinking it was – I, th I thought it was at least a year ago. That's no, that's shocking. My birthday. So, I mean, you had file clerks and people who are, are middle management bureaucrats picking up, you know – assault rifles and defending the government buildings against their own army trying to take over the government. What a, what a, I mean, that, that resonated with me. I mean, you think about that. You've got someone who's trying to destroy your democracy and set up a state of, of military rule and take away freedom. And here are the, the people that we normally bash. I mean, these are, 
let's be honest, these are post office workers and ATF agents and people who don't do this sort of stuff. So this is what I thought was about to happen with the Democrats after Trump's election. And then I realized that they're too scared of guns to try to pick one up and defend themselves against us. Oh, well. <laughs> well, the, the, the coup in Turkey was, was very serious. I mean, they, they, people died. And there are still tribunals going on right now where civil servants were removed from their offices for taking up arms to defend their own government. And when I say defend the government, I'm, I'm talking about defending the elected free will of the people. This is a government, and I don't care whether they were right or wrong and what they were doing, but this was the will of the people. Again, and when, we're so close to this in America. It's not even funny. What happened yesterday with our electors and the Electoral College? You tell me. There was a whole bunch of electors that were replaced by backup electors because they were, quote-unquote, faithless electors, and they were going to cast their votes for Clinton, even in a state where they were supposed to cast their votes for Trump. I I hadn't read the stories. I thought it was going the other way, that they were defecting from Clinton and she wasn't going to have hardly any votes at all. No, there were some that were trying to defect from Trump to vote for Clinton as well. Wow. And there were people that were so like disruptive that they had to be let out of where the electors cast their votes. Because, you know, there's a gallery for this, too. You can go and watch it. Yeah. And there were... Do you know where they were holding it? Democrats. Downtown? Um... In the Capitol building, in, I guess, where the Senate meets. So each state's electoral committee goes to their state legislature and casts their, their vote? Well, I mean, different ones probably meet different places, but Georgia's met in our legislative chamber and cast their votes. So the gallery at the rear, where people can watch what's going on in the legislative process had onlookers and it wasn't georgia where it was disruptive i don't think i want to say it was rhode island or no it was one of the states that was a trump state when they cast their votes for trump this lady said you've sold out our country you've sold out our country this is my country and i'm thinking no lady it's all our country you're crazy i I see some of this and, and wonder if these people didn't like forget to take their meds this morning well, it's it's I mean, it's good that people are are passionate about what's going on in politics. I mean, how often have we sat back and decried the apathy that exists in American political structure? Well, there's a lot of people that are involved and there's not a lot of apathy right now. Everybody has an opinion. Mm-hmm. Some people who have an opinion didn't even vote. So their opinion don't count. Yeah. Maybe it'll motivate them to vote next time. But I, I, I think that that ship has sailed. I think that there is a plebeian class that has grown up in in america now that is is politically so apathetic that they will never be motivated to become anything more than what they are and that we have to deal more with the patrician class that is willing to get involved and not worry about trying to motivate the others because it is a lost cause i I, maybe i have i have moved just to the point of cynicism like the poet but i i just don't see it i believe that you can take a person and educate that person past being a Democrat. True, but I don't think that you can take somebody who says, I don't care about government and educate them to the point of caring about government. No, I think you're probably right about that. And that's that's the problem. My my fundamental conception of the American political system came to the, to the idea that 
every person would be fired up about government if they understood what was going on. If you just simply educated them about what was happening and what their voice meant, that they would become involved. So let me let me straighten this idea out. That's not true. Because you can sit and you can educate people and you can tell them what their voice means and they still won't turn out to the polls. Case in point, my American government class that I just took in college last semester was during the election cycle. We we were in the very midst of the presidential election and half of my class didn't vote. Yep. Like, and so that we're talking a class of 30 and 15 of them didn't vote. Well, that's that's exactly <laughs> right down the line with the American people, too. Yeah. So that's a, a I mean, it's not like they didn't understand. We have just gone over right before it was time to vote. We'd just gone over. Yeah. Some know, some. And I don't how mean to knock. A civic duty in America. It's a right for all Americans that aren't felons. I, I, I don't mean to knock your your American government professor in any way. But I, I still my up until this election, my core belief was it was just a failure of education. And I, I think that there may be a failure of education there, too. But I don't the, think so. I think that it was more of a failure of care. Like, they just didn't care enough. These were the same people that the education was there for them to take it, but they didn't want it, and they wouldn't even do their homework. Yep. They wouldn't even participate in the discussion questions that were there for points. And most of them didn't do so well in her class, yep. the exact ones that didn't vote. Yeah. So I don't think that it's a failure of education so much as it's... A, uh, such a lack of care about the subject that they don't even want to be educated about it. They're like, if I cared, maybe I'd open the book, but I really don't care. And that's why I, I very carefully chose my words about a plebeian and a patrician class going into the future of American politics. I think that there is simply a class of people that are not meant to be leaders, are not meant to be rulers, and are not meant to hold the reins of power, that they cannot fathom it in a way that they are is meaningful now does that make them bad people no no it just makes some people that just that don't care aren't about going, the system. aren't going to vote and so we need to give up on them as far as trying to make them vote because it's like trying to make a fish fly it Tr- just doesn't hurting cats hurting cats yeah it just doesn't work and it's a waste of effort to try to get them to that point So I think that it's much better to focus on the people who are politically motivated, like our listeners, like members of Georgia Carey. Folks, we are at a commercial break, so we will be right back. And now back to GeorgiaCarey.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. So when we took the break, we were discussing a little bit about Turkey and the American political system and how you can't really get some people involved. But, you know, the the truth is, is that you need to be involved. And if you are part of the class of people that I'm, I'm describing that is willing to do something, it doesn't have to be a lot. You don't have to go out there and run for office. You don't have to go out there and form a new political party. You can just send an email. That would be a great help in the coming months because we have a lot of things that are troubling brewing in our legislature. Oh, my. Did you see the one bill that's going to allow EMTs to commit somebody? Yeah, and uh, with all due love and respect for our EMT community, I just don't want you committing me. Well, I mean, that's scary because an EMT doesn't have the kind of training that a person would might need 
to make that kind of call. And when somebody's committed against their will, that takes away their right to own a gun. Yes. So this could harm somebody's Second Amendment rights by falsely committing them. Mm-hmm. So it's called, it's you know, pre-filed Senate Bill 11. And it says that it's a bill to be entitled an act to amend Title 37 of the Official Code of Georgia Annotated relating to mental health so as to authorize emergency medical technicians, cardiac technicians, and paramedics to perform certain acts which physicians, psychologists, and other persons are authorized to perform regarding emergency examinations of a person for involuntary evaluation and treatment for mental illness or alcohol or drug abuse. To provide for related matters, to repeal conflicting laws, and for other purposes. Well, you know, I'm not sure that I want them to allow EMTs to evaluate me for committal. Yeah. I think that that's going down a a pretty dangerous road. We have so many powers that are being given by the government to do things to citizens. And there's no reason that an EMT can't make a decision that somebody is a danger to themselves and others and take them for an evaluation. Take we them do that. for an evaluation. We do that now. That. I mean, so what is this doing? What is what is the real goal of a bill like this? It's to pe- lock people up when they may or may not really be a danger to themselves or others. It's cutting out the doctor in the middle. Yeah. So and is this is this more affordable health care garbage? Is not, this that we don't want to spend money on doctors? No, I don't think so. I think this is a backdoor at mental health to take away people's second amendment rights well let's 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 think about this because you know this just this last week i was told by a county that that they release people on duis without arrest without um incarcerating them in order to avoid having to pay doctor bills right yeah, if they say they were injured, they'll take them to the hospital and release them to the hospital. And and give them a citation and cut them because loose. Because so if they they're don't... under arrest and they take them to the hospital, the county is responsible for the medical bill, right? Right. So, I mean, if you've got counties that are willing to cut people loose and not incarcerate them as is required by law to save a few bucks, what maybe this is just you know a legislatorial cost-saving measure where they're trying to cut out having to pay doctors to evaluate people who are brought in. Because in the end, who pays for that evaluation? You got the, some the taxpayers if it's by the sheriff's office, right? And that's what we're talking about, right? I mean, you got a, a situation. They go out there and they bring them in for an evaluation, and lo and behold, next thing you know, the county's paying the bill, and the, this may be the legislature's way of trying to avoid paying a bill by just letting you know EMTs lock you up. We don't isn't, want that to happen. Isn't that a cheap cost-saving measure right there? Isn't that a backdoor way to screw over somebody? The law of unintended consequences. You know, I I honestly think that legislators never really sit down and think about what their bills are going to do. No, they don't. They go, oh, wow, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. I, I'm, I'm. And then when somebody know. like me or you says, hey, you know, that's going to hurt this group or that group. They go, ah, we can amend it later if it does. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Except the amendments never get amended. Nothing ever changes. 
the more you fight, the more it stays the same. And that's a lot of the issue with all of this sort of of haphazard legislation, which is why, you know, it's good to have an important lobbying group that gets involved that that can carefully craft legislation over months and years so that there aren't loopholes and there aren't problems and there aren't issues with the legislation that pops up later. But when you finally get something passed through and signed by the governor, they ignore it. He ignores it, keeps it off the the law books, and causes and claims there were conflicts where there wasn't, and then we have to start over from scratch again. Thank goodness that we only have two more years of that garbage. Do we? Do we really? Well, who's, I hope. Who's the next one going to be? Who's the next governor of Georgia, Jess? Who's the next make a deal? Yeah. Oh, gosh. You know who I see. Tim Gravy Train Lee running for governor. You know, that's some scary. That's actually not that far fetched. And the the thing is, is that the system itself creates this kind of uh, you know group of people who run and run and run and don't ever produce anything. Well, and that's it, the rebellion of the Trump rebellion, right? Isn't it strange how Deal was making deals with the Board of Regents, and then one of his higher ups is now. Sam, Sam Olins, who he's not on the Board of Regents. He's the president of KSU. It, an appointed job by the Board of Regents. Yes. That's what I'm saying. So he got a very high up position somewhere. With no uh No previous national, educational experience, does he? I don't know about that. I, I know he has so. a doctorate. But no national job search, no national qualification vetting. Just, hey, this is who you got. Live with it. And I'm pretty sure that they, they skipped over protocols there when they – didn't do a search to find somebody that was more qualified for that position. You mean Governor Deal skipped protocols on how to do things right? I'm shocked. Yeah. Shocked. This is my shocked face. Do you see this shocked face? You don't have a shocked face. This is my shocked face. Oh. <laughs> see, I can't tell. It's almost like my I give a crap face. <laughs> well. But, it's Governor Deal, and he's always making backroom deals. That's a, that is the deal. It's 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 time to do something. You know, we, we need to push some things through the legislature. Well, you know, Georgia accepts recall elections on any elected official in the state. Did you know that? Yeah, but that's like getting a petition signed to get on a ballot, isn't it? They go, well, I mean, is he really that bad? We could get somebody worse. If we do a recall election, the only recall election I I know of in my lifetime was the recall election of Tim Gray. I think it was Tim, David, David Gray, whatever the guy out in California, and that recall landed Arnold Schwarzenegger in the office. And after that, California seemed to do pretty well considering it's California. Mm. I mean, they they stopped running trillion dollar deficits. They're afraid he'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to pump them up. He'll pump you up. <laughs> well, folks, let me yeah. spit out the marbles and continue. Um, the 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 what we're getting at here is that there's a lot of turmoil going on internationally and nationally. What and, happened in Berlin? Okay, there there was a, an attack where they used uh, a, an assault vehicle to run over about sixty people. About thirteen of them have died. Um, I'm using assault vehicle kind of tongue in cheek there, but the, there was, they, they, they ran people over. It was a Christmas market. It was a terrorist attack. And the, the news seems to be pointing to 
Is there going to be fallout for Angela Merkel for her open border policy and letting people in? Is this going to cause Germans to rebel against their government and say, no more, we've done enough? And, you know, Germany has a strong history of being very nationalist, especially with citizenship and even with migrant workers. So this has been a a, a 180 departure from the way Germany has conducted its national identity for the past, I don't know, 1800 years. And so there's there's a, a real questioning about what Germans are going to think about these sorts of attacks and the increase in crime. And crime has jumped dramatically in Germany with the importation of so many refugees. So they've brought in, what, Syrian refu- refugees like America has? Oh, they've brought in everybody. They brought in Turkish refugees and Syrian refugees, and they've brought in people from um, just all over the Middle East because uh, Germany has a very strong social program. So they take care of people who get to their borders, and they have basically said, if no one else will take them, we will take them. So I was looking through the news the other day and found – a quote from Obama where he said there have been no terrorist attacks on U.S. soil since he's been in office. And I'm going, what do you call Boston? Workplace violence. Workplace. No. Boston, <laughs> Maryland. I know. I mean, San, San Bernardino. We Isolated can go to Fort Hood twice. That was workplace violence. No, it was a Muslim <laughs> terrorist that had infiltrated our military, let's be honest. Chattanooga. He was a psychiatrist too. He's the one who commits people when the EMTs can't do it. Yeah, that's scary. Isn't it? <laughs> that's even worse. He said, "I think I'll take away your gun rights." Scary, scary, scary stuff. And we're bringing them into the country left and right. If, yeah, have well, you seen we, what happened in Aleppo? And don't make the Aleppo face. I, I have an Aleppo face. No, Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson has an Aleppo face. Where's Aleppo? So, um, Aleppo that, isn't was, that the kind of food he buys his dog? There was maybe there was chlorine gas. Oh my! Dropped onto children in Aleppo, and some of them died. Uh huh. Like yellow chlorine gas, mustard chlorine. gas. Poor kids. Again, hearkening back to a hundred years ago, right now. And these kids are like choking. The one little boy says to the EMTSR. A video here, am I going to die? And the EMT said, no, not today. Yeah. We all know about tomorrow, but not today. So we're coming up on a commercial break. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. And now back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. So this is Christmas, and what have we done, right? Talking about mustard gas attacks in Syria and refugees pouring into different countries, including ones who are trying to attack and kill people. And, and you know, do we – and I know you and I take a very different stance on this, Jesse, but do we turn our backs on the people who are actually suffering because there are some who mean, mean us harm, or do we accept personal responsibility and the ones who mean us harm, we bring the harm to them? I think that we need to bring the harm to the ones that mean us harm. I think that the way we do it is if, if we we take care of the people who are suffering and dying and hurting. And if someone slips in who wants to do us harm, then we be prepared to deal with them when they're here. I say we've dropped an atom bomb for much less. Yeah, that's true. But is that the right thing to do when there are 
innocents and civilians and children who are there. I think that it's better to protect our children. I their, can, their children don't matter to me as I much as pro- mine. I'm sorry. I can protect my children. You want to you wanna run a, a truck through the bazaar where me and my kids are at? I'll I, shoot you. I've got something that does real wonders on auto glass right. on any given day. You want to try to assassinate our ambassadors? Go for it. We're here. We're ready. No matter where we are, we're ready. Well, you know, was it China the, that said you didn't want to invade America because there was a... It was Japan. It was Japan. There was it a was gun behind every blade of grass. Admiral Yamamoto said that an invasion of the American mainland was pointless because there was a gun behind every blade of grass. Although he did invade Alaska. There's no grass in Alaska, is there? <laughs> no, there's lichens and lots of snow. And there was a gun behind every every, every snowflake in Alaska, too. Yeah, you know, the, the, the people in the Aleutian chain fought tooth and nail against the Japanese invaders. And you would talk about, if you want to talk about Americans who don't really have any ties to America, the, the natives of the Aleutian chain, I would say, are probably pretty high up on that list, that they don't really have any real American connections. But they didn't care. They were defending their soil, their homeland against an invader, and they fought bravely and died bravely in the attempt. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, and it is Christmas, and we should be thinking about happy things and being with our families and the joy. But there is so much suffering, and there's so much suffering right here, even here in Atlanta. That's going on on a daily basis. And, you know, I was reading post on Facebook. One of my friends decided to, instead of buying a new mattress, to donate the money to a family that didn't have anything so that the four-year-old could have a Christmas this year because there was nothing coming. You know, you think about things like that and and the generosity of people. And it's really heartbreaking in, in the end. The, all of the, the suffering that goes on around the world and here, and we have it so good, and we have so much plenty, and we have such good food, even when we don't want to eat it, and we have everything that we could ask for, and all of our needs met, and yet we don't look around at the people around us who are, are suffering and, and not making it. I... I just wish that people would take a few minutes and think about what they can do for others. And maybe join Georgia Carey. We should probably do that. Well, they can join Georgia Carey by going to the georgiacarey.org website, clicking on membership and filling out the form there. You even pay their online membership dues are, what, $20 a year? $20 a year, $500 for a lifetime. You can click on join now in the top left-hand corner of the website. Choose either route. And that's a great way to get all the emails to know what's happening in the legislature, where you need to be, what committee meetings are going to be held. And this is coming up in just a couple of weeks. You can also find Georgia Carey at most local fairs, festivals, gun shows, etc. And at local chapter meetings. You can find those local chapter meetings on Facebook. At the georgiacarey.org Facebook page, you can find links to the local chapters. And that's a, another great way to meet people. Um, the local chapter meetings take place in, in restaurants or at gun ranges. You can have some fellowship, maybe get some good food, hear a speaker, and usually meet a board member. One of the board members usually attends every one of the chapter meetings so that there's a way to stay in touch with the board and what's going on and what's coming up in the session. And this session is going to be a very busy session. It is going to be a busy session. You know, the, the first year of any two-year session is busier. 
and so many bills that get introduced and then get tabled and are brought back in the second year as long as it makes it through this year and and crosses over next year it get you get the flurry of activity where things are getting dropped and punted and pushed this, and this year you've got a little bit more time for reflection to get committee hearings heard and to get your voice heard because at the end of the second year they don't really have as many committee hearings they're much more interested in just pushing things through and not hearing but this is a time where you can change minds and change attitudes towards the upcoming bills and we need people who will show up for these committee hearings we also need people that are willing to send an email call your local legislator when georgia carey sends out one of those update emails you need to be the first one in line with a phone call absolutely because if without those sorts of phone calls and emails and i know i've said this hundreds of times on this show but i used to work for a congressman and and a a person who emailed was worth one notch on the the totem a person who called was worth 10 and a person who showed up was worth more and that's just the way it is. And if you're willing to call and talk about it, if you're willing to go down there and look them in the eye, you count for so many more emails. It's exponential. And there's a group of moms who know nothing who are willing to show up. And we've got to be just as willing, if not more willing, to show up and make the difference. Exactly. And th- this is the kind of activism that separates the patricians from the plebes like we were talking about earlier. And we need people who are willing to do that, who are willing to step up to the plate and make their voices heard because... Not everyone will do it. No. In fact, most people won't. So these people that are involved in GeorgiaCarry.org are the cream of the crop, the ones that will participate. And it's best to get in line with somebody who has your same ideals that will participate with you. Absolutely. It's time to start to get motivated. We're coming into the year that we need motivation. I want to see some things. I want to see some things like constitutional carry. I want I'd, to see. I'd like to see school carry. Yeah, well, we already have campus carry. Just got to get the right test case. I don't care what anyone says. The right test case will do it. Um, well, I mean, I I can carry to my kid's school, and if you want to represent me, we'll go that way. Do you really think? I that, don't think I'd last in in the jail for very long, though. You do know? you Do you really think that they would arrest you? Me? Honestly, yeah. When they learned that I was the wife of of a, a defense attorney who's just been itching, uh-huh. they'd probably let me go. Yeah. I might get taken away from the school in handcuffs before they realize who I am. I think everybody knows who you are. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't think that you're exactly the test case that I can pull off. I think that if I walked through uh, a public school with my shoulder holstered Uzi, that they would just shake their heads and look down and not notice it. I mean, that's just the way it is. Because nobody wants this test case. Well, we had a certain member of Georgia Carey who was carrying to his child's school every day, and they wouldn't arrest him. Yeah. So they know. Prosecutorial discretion. Yay. They know who's involved the right way to cause this to be fixed. Yep. And they're not willing to do it. And so I just end up waiting. It will happen. There's Somebody's going to do it again. Somebody who has the grombas to keep on with the case and not plead out you make me think of the girl that got invited to prom by the guy that's never going to come pick her up you're just standing there in your prom dress waiting 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 (laughs) you know yeah (laughs) poor doug (laughs) well what did you get yourself for christmas a cane yeah cane with a sword in it is there any you could always kind? carry that to the school. They'd never notice that. Is, is there any other kind? Why would you have a cane without a sword in it? You can still knock somebody up the head with a wooden 
cane. Yeah, true. You know, but you can knock someone upside the head with a cane with a sword in it too. Play a game of pool. <laughs> What'd you get? Well, I get. I got a violin. Oh yeah. Case for Newsy. There you go. <laughs> Well, I think that we're running out of time for this week's show. It, it is Christmas Eve. I hope that you folks out there have a great time with family and friends. And like I was saying at the beginning of the segment, take a few minutes to think about something bigger than yourself or the presence under the tree. Take a minute to think about people who are suffering both here in our city and in our state and in our country. Well, have yourself a world. merry little Christmas or happy Hanukkah, Mark Gilbert. And all the other people out there. We're signing off. Same bat time, same bat channel. See you all next year. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.